Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey guys, what's up? It's your girl Kate here, and we are in a Heart of Dating season break, but that doesn't mean that we aren't going to be bringing you incredible episodes these next few weeks while we're on break, relaxing, and preparing for season 11. Today's episode is from our Heart of Dating archives, and guess what? This was the sixth ever episode that I recorded for the Heart of Dating podcast thinking about that now, it's actually insane, you guys. I mean, this podcast has been going for over five years. Thinking back to when I first started was so wild because I truly had no idea how to interview. I really didn't really know what I was doing at all. And I can't believe for our sixth episode ever, I had the honor and privilege of interviewing the one and only John Mark Comer. I just, he is amazing. Now the audio was a bit of a struggle bus on this episode for John Mark, but he still brought his A game and that really only comes later in the episode. It was so funny. I just remember back to when I was uh, recording this and then doing the edits for it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we had some audio issues and I kind of freaked out. And you just learn so much when you first start a podcast. I just have to tell you, if you don't know who John Mark Comer is, where have you been? Are you under a rock? You need to follow him, read his books, listen to his sermons. He is such an incredible leader. He was a pastor that I just so highly admired, and I just always enjoy learning from him. He's such a great teacher. I always learn so much and just appreciate the way that he thinks and processes. Recently, I have been loving his podcast, The Rule of Life, where each different season breaks down a different spiritual practice. So things like Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, and hospitality. We actually started, or he started his season with Sabbath, and JJ and I were both so convicted by this. It was so powerful. Also, my friend Bethany is in that season, Bethany Allen, and it just, shout out to Bethany because I love her so much too, but go check out the Rule of Life podcast. Now, in this episode specifically, John, Mark, and I talk about the theology of love. He wrote an incredible book a while ago called Loveology, which is phenomenal. Highly recommend it for all you guys as Christian singles and for anybody married to. It's just such a good book. So we talk about the theology of love and guess what? We then also get into boundaries and yes, even the topic of masturbation, which thinking back to the very first days of Heart of Dating, it is wild to me to think that I brought up the concept of masturbation that early on. Just very clear that even from the inception of this podcast, the ideas, the episodes were all God's idea and not mine because man, if you would have told me years ago that I would be talking about masturbation this much, I'd be like, haha, that is a complete joke. I would never do that. And look at where we are right now. Okay. Now, this is truly one of my favorite interviews because I love John Mark so much and it's so rich, but I do apologize in advance that at times our audio does get a bit spotty. It's still such a good interview and you absolutely should stick it out because John Mark is wonderful. And I bet that many of you listeners have 
been here, whether new or maybe an old listener, but I bet a lot of you guys have never heard some of our episodes from the beginning of Heart of Dating. Now, give me some grace, okay? Again, at the beginning of my journey of being an interviewer here, but hey, you probably never heard this episode, so it's basically fresh, brand new content for you. So I want you to listen with open ears. I can't wait for you to hear this. And hey, I got one more thing to ask of you. If you would be so willing, would you write us a review and rank us here on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, but especially iTunes, it would mean so much. It actually does help us as a podcast. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. And last thing, if you could share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend, that would also mean the world to us. Okay, let's get on with it with this episode with John Mark Comer. John Mark Homer, I have been looking forward to this day for some time. Thank you for jumping in the boat with me as we prepare to, you know, navigate these murky waters of dating. So happy to be with you. <laughs> On a scale from one to excited, how pumped are you to talk about dating today with me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I woke up this morning and I just thought, man, that what I have to offer the world is right here. It, right here with all the dating knowledge. Sorry, all that, and... that's sarcasm. I just am, yeah. I'm chuckling to talk about dating as a 37 year old married man. It's, I love uh, it. The irony is thick. And so it's your funeral, not mine, but here I am. <laughs> I still think, I just want you to know, I really highly respect you, your teachings, and above all, I really do think, despite what you may think, that you have an incredible perspective on the concepts of love, sex, dating, and of course, marriage. You're probably very skilled at that by now. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you're very gracious. I mean, I, I do pastor a church full of, yes, you know, you do. 68% single people. There you and go. And so pastorally, I'm in this conversation nonstop even though I'm not in it. And I think, you know, what I might might have something to say to is the theology behind yes. both singleness and marriage and sexuality more yeah. than the kind of tips for how to be a 30 something single person isn't I'm not the go-to source for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we very much are going to look forward to talking about the theology of all of that. But before we dive in, I just want to say something. I've heard that we share a really amazing thing in common. Okay. We apparently share a sincere love for the Enneagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you, <laughs> are you? If you can love something that exposes your roots in and I shadow know, right? side and ulterior motivation for everything. If, if love exactly. is the word to use, then yes, we share a love. I know. It's like a love-hate relationship, but I'm <laughs> yeah. a three. What are you? I am a very uh, on the middle type one. You are? Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Yeah, everything's about right or wrong, just or unjust, the need to, the need to be perfect. Right. And we have a few similar things, the threes and the ones, because I think we both care about striving for success, right? The yeah. three, ones are more Threes and ones look very similar from the outside, but we are driven by very different motivations. Yeah. And the ones, I think they're more like uh, soul connected and the heart and the threes are more heart connected, at least from what I've my reading on it in the intelligence centers. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Yep. There you go. And you, and you threes are supposed to be hopelessly out of touch with your feelings, but you seem you seem self-aware. You seem in you touch know with what? I know, right? From the being. brief time you've known me, I'm really in touch with my feelings, Jean Marc. That's right. <laughs> my heart. And, um, and threes are the most productive of all the types. You people run the world. You get stuff done. So here we are on your pad- podcast in your spare time, just getting it I know, out right? There. You know, you saying that is like actually feeding my inner need for having affirmation. So thank you for doing that. Done. 
I'm just here. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover today. I don't want to waste a moment because I just Great. want everyone to be able to to soak in all of what you have to say. And so I just want to start quickly with your marriage. And I know you have a great marriage with your wife, Tammy. Uh, She is such a beautiful woman. She's a lovely soul. And I did have the pleasure of briefly meeting both of you guys just a few months ago here in LA. And that was such a treat to meet y'all. And, you know, I've heard you mention before and specifically read it in your book, Loveology, that you said that in a way when you met Tammy, it was kind of love at first sight, um, which is something you don't always hear. And so it brings about some interesting questions for me on the topic of love. So what I want to begin today with asking you about is your knowledge and expertise on, you know, what does being in love really mean as a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important question because I think the scripture and the New Testament in particular has so much to say about love, but if we're not careful, we import our culture's definition of love into it and we miss the whole thing, you know? And I think we have at least two working definitions of love going on right now. Normally in culture at large, especially when we're chatting about romance or marriage or anything like that, when people say love, what we usually mean is overwhelming feelings of affection, warmth, like, desire, lust, even, you know, chemistry toward another person. And it tends to be passive, not active, meaning love is something that happens to you, not something that you do to another person. Hence the saying, fall in love as if, you know, oh, look, I just tripped and fell into love or whatever, Mm. um, which is nowhere even close to what Jesus means when he talks about love or what Paul means when he talks at great length about love. Um, Not that the emotional kind of feelings of affection aren't a part of it, but the New Testament or the biblical word that would be closer to that would be the word compassion. Mm -hmm. That's the emotional word. So in the New Testament, this idea of compassion is when you look at somebody, when Jesus looks at the crowd, there's compassion on them. That's that's that emotional world as he's moved in his gut and his interior world. He's overwhelmed by this emotion of attachment toward another person. When Jesus talks about love, it has more to do with will than with emotion. Love is the decision of the will and of the heart to put another person's good ahead of your own, to Mm -hmm. sacrifice your good on the altar of another person's flourishing. So it has more, it is very active, not passive at all. It is something that you're empowered to do by the Holy Spirit. Why, why he can command you to love your enemy. When Jesus mm-hmm. says, love your enemy, he doesn't mean, you know, have romantic feelings or feel warm fuzzy emotions toward your enemy. He means set your will on their good and flourishing above your own. Mm, wow. So I think this, of course, has profound implications for talking about romance, and that's not to disparage the feelings of love and of affection. You have an entire book in the Bible, the Song of Songs, that's written to celebrate them. But the problem is you just can't build any long-term relationship off of that definition of love. Otherwise, you'll just get from relationship to relationship, you know, every few years once the feelings fade and the passive side of love is gone. Do you think that in some ways as a culture, we tend to worship love sometimes versus maybe worshiping God? Oh, absolutely. I think that's even a question. You don't have to be a pundit or a cultural commentator to figure that out. Just watch TV. Behind the larger picture of that 
is our culture has moved toward, you know, in the past, um, not only in American culture, but in all great societies, the will and the heart, the center of the desire in a human being, you had good desires and bad desires. In the language of Augustine, a fourth century theologian, you had good will, you know, good loves and bad loves. He said that Augustine said that the main problem in the world is disordered loves, meaning that we love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. That was the core issue of what's wrong in human civilization. So every thriving civilization, Christian or not, including Hindu, Buddhist, Greco-Roman, has always said that the human heart is this mixed bag of good desires and bad desires, good loves and bad loves. And so one of the tearing pine things about Western culture as a whole and American culture now is we're losing this idea and uh, moving to what? There's a sociologist by the name of Charles Taylor, very influential thinker, who's done all the kind of seminal work around getting our heads around secularism. And he writes about the move from authority-based culture where you know, your, your vision of reality was rooted in the authority of traditions such as the church and the king and the Bible and religion to what he called an authenticity culture, where it's all about be true to yourself. And so we're really one of the first advanced societies to say, hey, the human heart isn't that much of a mixed bag. Just be true to yourself, meaning live in line with your feelings rather than trying to um, temper a lot of those feelings or restrain a lot of those impulses. And so what we call freedom is the ability to kind of do whatever you want. And most of the four of us would all say that's, that's slavery. That's not freedom. Mm. And the result of that will be misery, not human flourishing. And I think mm. we're already seeing that. Um, I'm obviously you're, we're all aware of just what hookup culture is doing, what the sexual revolution of the sixties has done, what the divorce breakdown of the family has done is fracturing the romantic and human soul across an entire generation. Yeah. I heard, I think, actually, I was just about to quote, I think you in your book, you say that at, at this rate, at the, where we are in culture today is you have like one in two chances of survival, uh, like as of today, like a 50% chance of surviving. And so much of that also divorce rates are are driven from irreconcilable differences and probably just a lack of feeling like in love with the person over time. Yes. So in a relationship or in a Christian dating relationship, let's say, um, how do we discern in those situations that it's God's voice telling us that the person is for us or conversely navigate if we are just falling into a deep infatuation with the person? How do we go about like navigating that? Yeah. And of course, there's no formula to that or, you know, acronym to follow. I'm sure there's an acronym out there somehow, but it's the, it's the age old time tested wisdom from the way of Jesus. Uh, Mm. Of course, first you test everything up against the person and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Then you test everything up against the scripture. And, you know, the main point of God's will for relationship is that you go about a dating relationship the way that Jesus would go about a dating relationship, which is obviously a goofy question to ask. But that is the core of apprenticeship to Jesus. You know, we think, would Jesus do? And that's not all bad. People push back on that. But a better way to phrase that is what would Jesus do if he were me? Mm -hmm. So if Jesus were, you know, a 37-year-old INTJ in the Myers-Briggs, introverted father of three living in a city that's post-Christian, as a pastor, as his job, what would he do? 
versus what would Jesus do if he was Kate, if he was single, if he was female, if he lived in LA in 2018, that's a far more helpful way to phrase that question. So I think, um, so back to your thing, you know, you have, you have tested against Jesus, tested against the scripture, make it holy, Mm-hmm. Meaning do that dating relationship the way that to the best of your ability, you think Jesus would go about dating this person if he was a single woman or man or whatever. And then I think community is massive. That would be the other just yeah. no dating relationship should ever be done in isolation. Mm-hmm. That's just a disaster waiting to happen because the beauty of, of love is that we don't see clearly and the danger of it as well. You need people around you that aren't infatuated with the person that you're infatuated with Mm. and aren't infatuated with you to speak honestly and truthfully into your situation and weigh in. And nobody has like the, you know, landline to the voice of God, but to Mm. weigh in and just, it can be as simple as I think this is a good fit or I think it's a bad fit or here's three things I think that are great or here's three red flags I have about your relationship or whatever. Often I think dating is done in isolation. And then if we want, you know, others input, it's we're we're more looking for people to bless what we want to hear rather than we are looking for honest feedback from our community. That's actually in relationship with both of us. So you can get anybody to sign off on you doing almost anything to some level, you know, that's different than doing life in community, knowing and being known as a couple, and then opening yourself up to honest input from any, and that community. And even, you know, we believe I, I have a high, high value for community. Our family's in community and we make all major decisions with their community. So any decision over a thousand dollars has to be approved by right. several members in our community, any work thing or a move or, or, you know, we would never dream of making that decision without the affirmation and approval of our community, which is about 25 people that we do life with. And I just think that's how Jesus set us up. So that's the other layer. And then the final layer is just that inner, whatever you want to call it, um, still still small voice in the language of the, mm. the prophet Elijah's story, but just that inner witness, that inner sense of the inclination and the movement of God on the heart. And so um, then, of course, you're looking at circumstances and all that kind of stuff. So it's just almost like a, I've heard one writer call it a holy triangulation you think mm. of like a, like a surveyor, you know, out and they, they get these, yeah. you know, they get at least three points to kind of map something. And it's almost yeah. that like, like a holy tri- triangulation. You're like comparing Jesus and the Bible to what is my community saying to what's my like inner movement of my heart toward. And you mm. know what I mean? And you're almost like getting seen if all of these start to point in the same direction at some point, then you can start to feel really great about your decision, you know, but again, Mm. this is not, this is not magic. I'm just trying to make wise decisions that are in line with the person of Jesus and the movement of the Holy spirit in our life. Yeah. I've never heard that before. And I love that. I'm really big into graphs and pictures. And like, I, I love that picture though, of the Holy triangulation of Jesus community and the inner small voice in um, just navigating the three of those. And I think that, I mean, you're right. There is no perfect magic formula, but having those, just yes. navigating all three of those at the same time. I do love, especially what you said about community too, because um, I think often that can be hard because not only do we want people around us to be honest with us, but we have to be honest with people about what's actually going on in the relationship too. Yeah, you and, have to let them in. Otherwise they're not going to yeah. be able to give you good input. 
Right. So being open to be what's really going on. I think as men and women and because of pride, because of so many things, we're often hesitant to actually admit to our friends um, yes. or in people in community what's really going on. Yes. So we just need to be open in general to talking and being vulnerable about what's really happening. Uh, because if we only give people the perfect picture, then of course, <laughs> you know, that's... Yeah, you get them to sign up. And that's where yeah. it, it, community comes down to actually being by each other and with each other and time together. You want to spend enough time with your community that you couldn't fake it even if you wanted to. That right. they're, they're picking up on the little clues of what's actually going on in that relationship, you know? Yeah, Otherwise, totally. we're just curating the little bits and pieces of ourselves that we want to be vulnerable with to other people than being in community where they see the whole thing. The other thing you have to remember about this conversation around romance and marriage and singleness for a follower of Jesus is I think there's this, there's the myth of the soulmate out there that I think is not only uh, out of line with the scripture, I think it's a toxic and unhealthy idea, but it's connected to this myth that there's this perfect kind of scenario out there that is God's will for my life. This kind Mm -hmm. of blueprint where I make the right decision and then everything just goes swimmingly. And that's just not how life, this side of the resurrection works. It's not how life is in this age of overlap between this age and the age to come between earth and heaven. And reality is messy. There is no perfect scenario. There's no perfect spouse. There's nobody that was custom fit just for you. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect dating relationship. And so I think that the hunt, the myth of perfection and the hunt of perfection hold so many singles and couples back Mm -hmm. from experiencing the relationships that could flourish and thrive. I mean, I love Tim Keller. I don't know if you've read his book, The Meaning Meaning of Marriage. You read that? Yes, of course. That is on my nightstand. How can I have a dating podcast without that one? (laughs) It is the best thing out there. And when I, I don't officiate a lot of weddings. When I do, I just have two requirements that it's like a deal breaker. You have to, if I'm going to officiate your wedding, one, you have to write your own vows. Because yeah, I believe I that. that the vows are the most important part of a marriage ceremony, not mm. the ceremony itself, and definitely not the party. And two, you have to read the meaning of marriage because it's so good. But anyway, he makes yeah. this point in there is a beautiful kind of section where he's beating up on the, the myth of a soulmate kind of thing or the, the, the one, you know. And he's this beautiful, I could not quote it from memory, but this thing on how at some level every other person on the planet is a bad match for you. It's just that some of those people are a lot less of a bad match than others. Yeah. And that sounds more cynical, taken out of context, than his heart's not cynical at all. But I love that. What he's just writing is there's nobody out there that is the perfect match for your personality. Everybody will have things that are imperfect about them. You have things that are imperfect about you. They will rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You will rub them the wrong way. You could make a list of pros and cons about every other human being on the planet, and every one of them is going to have some cons on their side. Don't do that, by the way, but I'm just hypothetical scenario. Yeah, Yeah, totally. But the point is there are some that are going to be less of a bad match that are going to have you know, far more pros than cons, so to speak, in that framework that are going to be far better personality fit with you, temperament fit with you life stage, career, vision, heart posture with you. But there is nobody out there that is the perfect match for the perfect marriage, for the perfect life. That life is yet to come at the resurrection of the dead in what Jesus called the kingdom of the heavens. And we need to make sure that we don't freight our hopes 
into marriage. All right, y'all, let me tell you about something with all of the things last year that happened with our wedding and marriage prepping and all of that. uh, One thing I wasn't ready for was really combining everything in me and JJ's life from like finances to also healthcare options. Hello. I mean, I didn't even really think of that. So with JJ joining the Heart of Dating business and quitting his other job, I was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to find something with great features that covers him well, also covers me well, that's also affordable. What are we going to do? This is why I'm so glad we discovered Altrua HealthShare. Altrua HealthShare is a membership of like-minded health conscious people who share in each other's medical costs. They've got a built-in office specialist and urgent care visits. They have 24-7 telemedicine, counseling services, and huge discounts on vision, chiropractic, pharmacy, and more. And guess what? Altrua HealthShare also has the country's first dental sharing membership called SmileShare, which P.S. I have used and so has JJ and we love it. It is super easy. Here's what I love. I have been using Altrua now for a bit and I go to the doctor and you know eventually I submit all the stuff. The bill comes back and it's usually pretty high but then Altrua does its magic okay and then a new bill comes to me and it's like 30 bucks or something really ridiculously small and it is just so awesome. I'm like how is this happening? This is just brilliant. I love it. Okay so if you are a ministry worker or if you just don't have a great healthcare option or you want something that's affordable I would definitely encourage you to check out Altrua and you can get $100 off your enrollment through Heart of Dating. All you got to do is go to myshare.org forward slash HOD. That's myshare.org forward slash HOD. I really hope you try it. We have just loved it. And I think you're really going to as well. So I want to talk to you quickly about boundaries. And this is a topic that's discussed frequently. And it seems that everyone kind of has their own view on what is right and what is wrong. And some ways, I guarantee that people are hesitant to admit to a pastor like yourself um, what's really going on. But to be honest, we all talk about it and we all struggle with it. Um, and it's different for different people. Some people decide to not kiss until they're married. Um, some people do decide that that's okay for them before getting married. How do you feel that we should navigate what is right for us as Christians in physical relations and boundaries within the context of a dating relationship? Yeah. And of course, there's not a right or wrong answer. Yep. I mean, some things are clearly sin and other things are you know, I don't know very, I don't know very few people that would have an issue with handholding or something like that, you know? Right. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of ground in between, you know, sex and handholding. And yeah. so where, you know, so I think basic principles, you know, that each couple has to flesh out. There's not a part, part of the reason there's not an answer for that is because everybody, every couple is different. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it has to do with the veracity of that person's will or self-control. Mm-hmm. So like my wife and I had to draw really strict boundaries around mm-hmm. us, but that was because of our immature, not because of our maturity. It was because mm-hmm. our lack of self-control, not because we were so self-controlled. So if, if that makes sense, it's much easier right. to just not kiss than it is to kiss and have to advocate self-control. Does that make sense? Yeah, so totally. The more self-control you have in theory, the more freedom that you are able to make in your physical expression of relationship together. Um, but I think that my immaturity and lack of self-control in that area 
is not rare. I think that is more the yeah. norm than the exception to the rule. Completely. So, um, yeah, but I think as a ge- couple basic principles, one is, you know, your first question shouldn't be, what can we do? It can be, how holy can we make this relationship? Mm. That sounds cliche, but that, that should be the overarching <laughs> philosophy. It's not, yeah. what can we get away with without having to repent on Sunday? It's how happy we make Jesus with this relationship. How can we honor Jesus, each other, and our own bodies as created in the image of God um, and holiness through this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that needs to be the, the question that drives all of this. Right. And then I think, you know, um, a second kind of rule of thumb is don't do anything that causes arousal. So mm-hmm. if you're doing something and it's causing arousal, don't. That's just a marriage thing. That's not a dating thing. And, and that's the beauty of none of this is a don't. It's all a not now. It's just a wait, not a don't, right. you know? And yeah. so that, that should give you excitement and anticipation for the future. But I think anything that leads to arousal is just taking you down wrong path. Third thing I'd say is talk about it openly and honestly, and as non-romantic as it sounds, get it up there and agree to some kind of, to agree to boundaries. Then the guy might have one set of boundaries in mind and the gal another, you know, and we can yeah. stereotype who's going to say what, but. That's those stereotypes are not all that helpful, but it can be done in a creative romantic way where you're doing it to honor each other and honor the mystery and, and keep that mystery alive and the sanctity of your relationship and your sexuality. So, um, and then the last thing I'd say is just, uh, once you come up with some boundaries, first off, brainstorm those boundaries with your community and then have your community hold you to it. So have your community regularly checking in, asking, how are you doing? Are you staying inside the boundaries that you set Mm -hmm. with our counsel and advice kind of thing, you know? And I I think if you're asking those kinds of questions, you're going to be doing good for. And and then just be really careful not – the last thing I'd say is just don't put yourselves in situations of temptation. You know, temptation is not a sin. But how the decisions we make can set us up for or against temptation. So, you know what I mean? So it's not tempted to, you know, have sex with somebody that you're falling in love with or dating or attracted to. But if you go to each other's apartment late at night alone and there's mood lighting on and, you know, Beyonce's playing Bonnie in the background. Bonnie Bear or Beyonce. Like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, we'll go there. And you're like, well, I just fell into it. And like, no, you didn't. You walked straight into it. Like, that was yeah. a series of unwise decisions that created an environment overwhelming temptation and no accountability. So you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to, of your own free will, place yourself in environments, whether it be an apartment alone or whatever, where temptation goes up and accountability goes down. You want to do the opposite. You want to place yourself in environments where temptation goes down and accountability goes up. Totally. Those are really amazing. And it's hard because like, I know you probably get asked that question by people in your church community a lot, but I think us as Christian singles, we, we still, we still need that direction. Um, so a question for you on that, uh, on that point is, Let's say the couple is doing very their very best to not cross boundaries, um, but let's say they mess up. They fall into some sort of sexual sin or they potentially even end up having sex. What? How? What's the recommendation for the couple moving forward? Because that's a conversation I've also been privy to in so many of my friendships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Again, there's no formula for any of this. Yep. First thing they need to do is confess that sin. 
So don't, they can't, if you just keep it to yourself and you say, sorry, we'll try harder next time. That's a winning formula to make the same mistake again. And of course, once you've gone down that road, um, it will be easier, not harder to go down that road again, or it will be harder to not go down that road than it was before. Not, not easier. So the formula of, Oh, we just feel guilt and shame. Sorry about that, honey. Let's not do that again. Try harder. That's a, that is a surefire formula for failure, not for success. And there's no formula, but I think, you know, patterns, healthy parallels would be confession right off the bat, confess to your community. If there's a spiritual authority in your life that um, you feel safe with a pastor or a parent or Mm. a mentor, somebody with authority in your life, ideally them as well, bring that out in the open. So confession, repentance, a new commitment to holiness, and then any freedoms that you were taking, I would then suspend those freedoms of your own free will and volition. So let's say you were allowing yourself to, you know, kiss on the couch or whatever, just take away that freedom, at least for a period of time, because the key thing isn't just not having sex again. The key Mm -hmm. thing is building a relationship on trust. And Mm -hmm. that's what, that's what so many people who are dating forget as non-romantic as it sounds to not have sex or not whatever, Mm. what you're doing is you're both strengthening your willpower, which is a core aspect of our apprenticeship to Jesus, like opening our willpower to the Holy Spirit to strengthen it as a muscle. What What you're trying to do is build, strengthen that willpower and build trust that you have control over your bodies. And that trust has to be built. Otherwise, for the rest of your marriage, anytime one of you is gone on a you know business trip or a conference, there's always that question in the back of your mind. And you know, when you're dating, you tend to just have all this passion and sexual attraction toward each other. But as the years go by, as children might come and go, your body might be changed for the woman or for the man. Um, there's obviously like the familiarity that comes with relationships sexually, which, which changes the sexuality and relationship doesn't make it worse, just makes it different. And so my point is you need to know how to have that sexual desire and be in control of it, not controlled by it. And your partner needs to know that your spouse needs to know this is somebody I can trust to control their sexuality as an act of love. And yeah. that's why it's so key. So that's when a couple messes up. It's not just about, oh, let's not have sex again so we don't feel guilty. It's about let's lay a foundation of trust in our relationship that lasts a lifetime. As a married man, you know, I'm not I'm no relational guru. So it took me, I, I didn't go into this realizing how key trust is. But as a married man, let me tell you, trust is literally the foundation of the relationship. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and most of us can figure that out. We're only really vulnerable with people that we deeply trust. And mm-hmm. it's only when we're really vulnerable that we actually experience real love. Because real mm-hmm. love, the, the kind of love that transforms us, the love of Christ is the love that my wife has for me. It's not a, I think you're hot and I want to have sex with you a lot and I really like you. That doesn't transform us. That makes us feel good. It doesn't transform us. Love that transforms us is I see everything that's ugly and impure and wrong about you, and I still love and even like you and put your will ahead of my own. 
that's the love that transforms us. And that requires, in order to experience that kind of transforming love, we have to be ruthlessly vulnerable with each other. And that's why trust is such a key part of the relationship. Oh, my word. Okay. Just throwing it down there, John Mark. Just throwing it down. (laughs) It's so good. I want to go to another really kind of difficult topic. So I just want to go there with you. Okay. Are you ready to just go there right now about this question? <laughs> I don't know if you know well, what's coming, but <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's coming and you just built it up. So now I'm nervous, but all right. Here we no, are. no, you got it. You got it. Okay. So this topic is frankly not discussed frequently, but, um, I'm just going to go out and say it, you know, what do you think the boundaries are with, um, with lust and then, and masturbation? Oh yeah, no, 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 that's nothing to be embarrassed about. I mean, okay, that that's yeah, it's, um, that's just like, that's a bit of a tricky one because the scriptures don't speak directly to masturbation at all, but yeah. they speak directly a lot about lust. So right. you know, um, theoretically, there's a world where you could masturbate and not lust. Uh, mm-hmm. In my personhood, that I I don't see the feasibility of that, but I'm told by other people that I respect that uh, some and I don't know that this is true for women, but some men uh, can masturbate without lusting. All that to say, I think there is a time and a place um, for some people, not for me, where you masturbate without lust, not for the purposes of sexual gratification, but for sexual relief. And I think Mm. that's key. Um, If you're doing it for the pleasure of that feeling, then you're, you know, you're on the road to lust, if not at the destination. Alternative would be if it is a form of sexual release in order to allow your mind to be more holy and more focused on what God is doing in through your life. So I just want to create space for if there's somebody, if there is a man, I don't think this is true. Forgive me, but of the way that female physiology works, different. Um, if that if there's a man that yeah. uh, you know is able to masturbate without lusting for the purpose of release, not gratification, I think the scriptures don't speak to that, and that's a gray area and a freedom that if he had peace to take, he could take. But I think for whatever percentage of men, I'm just going to say the majority of men. I don't know if the majority is 51 percent or 99 percent, but whatever. I'm in the majority here. I think that you can't masturbate without lusting and the line between gratification and relief is really fuzzy. So Mm. um, I think my encouragement would be more of a strong warning against that and allow Mm. your body to work out sexual release through dreams and night and its natural processes as set up by God. The challenge, what this is hitting on, the great challenge of our day and age is that human beings become sexual around 13 or 14 and now we marry in our late 20s or under context, usually in our late 30s. So, you know, in historic cultures, when you would marry by 14 or 15, you know, you yeah. might have a year or two between sexualization and marriage. Now, but that, that's how most cultures around the world still are to this day, and definitely yeah. down through history. And, and just physiologically, that's when a man and a woman's sexuality is often most fertile and most at its peak, and the body is young and flexible and pliable, and are physiological factors that are just science that you're just working with. But all that to say, very different than a, a Mary, mother of Jesus, who maybe was sexualized a year or two before she married Joseph, and somebody now who might not get married until they're 38, 
might have, yeah. uh, you know, two and a half decades between puberty and marriage. So it's a whole other, and it doesn't mean it can't be done. Jesus was single, Paul was single, and advocated for singleness and celibacy. It can be done, and there's a beautiful place for it, not only in society, but in the kingdom of God. But it is an acute problem that I do think should lead people to think seriously about marriage. You know, Paul's whole thing in Corinthians, turn to marry than to burn. If you can't, you know, control yourself sexually, if you're, or better way to say it, if you're just overrun by sexual desire, then his advocacy is and find a partner as the context for you to enjoy and express your sexuality. So just in keeping in line with everything we've been discussing in terms of physical relations, boundaries, and sex, what do you personally think is an appropriate time to be vulnerable in relationship and talk about sexual past with the dating partner? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's an exact answer to that. It's different for each person based on their sexual history um, the sexual history or lack thereof of their boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance. And so there's no answer to that. There's just, you know, do it in community, do it with listening prayer, open to what the spirit is saying, what your community is saying, wisdom, discernment, obviously too much. You don't want to drop your whole sexual history on date one, two or three in the name of honesty. Neither do you want to mislead somebody down a path of a relationship with a whole part of who you are and what's been a part of your past you know, um, hidden to them. You want no secrets. So, and for some people, it looks like kind of layers kind of dripping that information over the months as the relationship progresses, like, Mm. you know, maybe letting somebody know on the front end, there's a history of this and past that you worked through and moved on. And if you continue the relationship, then let's talk about it more down the road kind of thing, you know? Um, but again, that just depends on who the person is, how sensitive, what's their disposition, temperament, it's an area of deep wounding for them where, you know, their father had an affair or their mother mm. had an affair and it broke their family apart. And so a deep wound, or is it, you know, not, not in the same way for them. So again, not a right answer there. I just think that's a wisdom question. Wisdom and knowing when and the time, right time to be vulnerable, but probably not on date three, most yeah. likely, but yeah. Yep. It's the, but it's it's not a moral or theological question. That's a, a wisdom question, you know? Totally. Yeah, but it's helpful just to even have your input on that. It's so helpful. So, John Mark, it has been quite the pleasure speaking to you today. And selfishly, I wish we could continue, but we are out of time. Um, and before we go, I ask everyone just a really quick final question. Um, and so the question is, what is like a top line piece of dating advice you would give? Just a very quick snippet to our Heart of Dating listeners. I think make it holy. That might sound cliche. No, it's good. But constantly ask yourself the question, how would Jesus treat this person relationally, emotionally, sexually, um, time-wise, if he were me? If Jesus were a single man or single woman uh, dating this person, how would he go about it? And let that question be your daily question mm, to which your relationship so is a search for an answer. Um, okay. So we are going to wrap up here and I just want everyone to know where can they find you or the, your books you've authored, what four different books, right? Including Livology, which is an amazing book and reference for everyone dating, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. And it's, it's all my website, johnmarkcomer.com or social media. I'm, I'm not hard to find. And you have, you just started a podcast as well, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a podcast. There's a, we are church as a podcast that I yep. teach on most Sundays. And then, yeah, my dear friend, Mark Sayers and I, who's an Australian from Melbourne, we just started a podcast called this cultural moment, kind of 
chatting about post-Christian culture and all of its implications for us as we follow Jesus. It's so cool. I've listened to every episode and it's been awesome. So thank you for that. I love to hear you guys talk. So cool. John Mark, you've been awesome today. Thank you for just blessing us with your time and your wisdom. Um, I'm so thankful. You got it. Thanks. Great to chat to you. All the best. I wish that interview could go on forever. I don't know about you guys, but I could not take notes fast enough. Seriously, I particularly love some things Jean-Marc brought up relating to love. He says that when Jesus talks about love, it has more to do about will than emotion. He says that love is a decision of the will and of the heart to put another person's good ahead of your own, to sacrifice your good on the altar of another's flourishing. So if you love Jean-Marc's teaching today, then I can just about pretty much guarantee you'll love one of his books. We reference Loveology quite a bit, but he has three other amazing books as well. You can find him on Instagram at John Mark Comer, and you can visit his website, johnmarkcomer.com. And you can hear his sermons on iTunes as well at Bridgetown Audio. He also has another newly launched podcast called This Cultural Moment with his friend Mark Sayers, and they chat about post-Christian culture, and it is wildly interesting. Today was so enriching for me. I hope y'all feel the same. Also, if you support this mission, I'd love, love, love for you to hit subscribe on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can also stay up to date with show notes on heartofdating.com. And you can follow along on Instagram at, at heartofdating. And, you know, if you happen to know a friend or two that might need some dating help, I'd love for you to share this with them and get them to also support this. We have some amazing guests coming up in the coming weeks, and I am confident you will love it. So stick with me as we journey through this together. Until next time, friends.